If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to uh, invite you to open them to the book of Matthew. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. The kids did a great job of reading through Luke, the traditional uh, story. And by the way, if you can't understand me today, I did have surgery on my mouth. So I will be talking like Elmer Fudd for a week or two, but hopefully that goes away. If not, you might be searching for a new pastor at some point. But uh, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 1, you're here in church, and so you typically hear a message about the birth of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, if you come to church on Christmas and they don't talk about the birth of Jesus, you're like leaving. You know? that, that's not a time for the book of Leviticus or something like that. Uh, you're like, that was a sorry church. Man, I can't believe that. We didn't hear anything about the birth of Jesus. Well, I'm glad you're here because I didn't grow up in church, as many of you know. And uh, what Christmas to me was all about, it was all about the presence. I don't know about you, but I was like, yeah, the gift of salvation, maybe someday I'll hear about that. I didn't know anything about it. But I knew is underneath the, the tree, as uh, we got closer to Christmas Eve, the presence began to grow. And I was a little brother to an older sister. And if, do we have any little brothers in here? Yes. Just as a hint, maybe you did this as well. But as the presence began to grow underneath the tree, I would slowly take the name of my sister off her presence and add my name to her presence because I noticed that, you know, you would get a little bit worried if, if you almost were up to Christmas or Christmas Eve and you didn't have many presents, you're like, I wonder if my parents, you know, did they forget about me? And so I, I would do that to my sister for several years in a row. It was, she was like a teenager before she really found out. But because uh, she would be like, Scott has 12 presents. I've got one. What's that about? And I just said, hey, I'm more loved than you are, right? All little brothers know that, right? And so that was, that was part of my Christmas experience. And many of you uh, had different experiences as well. But this morning, as we open up the Bible, um, we're about to read an account. And I'm going to call it an account. Uh, technically, in the Greek, it's called uh, Genesis, the Genesis of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not a, quote, story. A story is just something that is, well, um, it's made up. It's, it's a legend. It's, a, it's an account um, that's not actually maybe true. And one of the things that you have to really come to a point in decision in your life, if you're here today and you never made this decision, is decide, is the Bible true or not true? Because it presents itself as not only true, but historically true. And that's a big difference than a philosophy, an idea, a cultural norm. It presents itself within history and specifically God within history of mankind. And as you're with your family, there's, there's uh, odds are there are people here today that have never even heard the Christmas story or, or don't believe it. But one claim that really can't be disputed, as you read the text itself, it makes a historical claim. And this claim is amazing. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says this, Now the genesis, or the birth of Jesus Christ, took place in this way. This is tying in to the earlier part of chapter 1 of Matthew there, where it goes through the genealogy of Jesus, all the way back to Abraham. 
It is a Christological genealogy. It doesn't list every single relative. It's tied up in generations, and it is focused upon the promise that was given to Abraham is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so he begins, now this is the birth of Jesus Christ that took place in this way. And as you notice, if you read this story at all, he doesn't talk about like going to the, the OR or the labor unit and the delivery and all that messy process. Thank goodness, right? He doesn't get into those details. What he does do is he goes into a different avenue. And this is why I've entitled this passage of Scripture this Christmas, God's Plan of Salvation Revealed. Because it is God's plan and it is his revelation. It's not yours or mine. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have done and revealed the story of Jesus the way that God did. I would have everything super easy. Anyone here been shopping this, this uh, Christmas? Yeah, the rest of you are like Scrooge. Yeah, we're, we're not doing any of that. <laughs> so we had the crazy idea of Judy and I of heading to Boise this Friday. I was finally better, done with the flu, halfway healed from surgery. We decided to go shopping, yeah, just two days ago in Boise. As we're passing the Costco, those of you familiar with this area, as we're passing the Costco exit there in Nampa, the traffic coming out of Boise to Costco, trying to get on that exit, was three miles long sitting there. At 2.30 in the afternoon, just stop and go. I'm thinking, boy, praise Jesus, I'm not in that group, right? <laughs> But we have in our minds the, the beautiful picture of Christmas. We get the white Christmas finally. We have all the, the family in. But we try to set aside all the craziness. But it always slips in there. And what you're going to discover in this picture that, that God reveals of his salvation, he doesn't make it easy. He requires faith. In this revelation of his plan, even before Christ is born, this idea of salvation that God is going to give mankind requires faith. It, it is not a life of perfect ease. It is not absolute heaven-like on earth. There's a challenge. And right, off the bit, right at the beginning, it says this in the second half of verse 18. It says, when his mother, Mary, referring to Jesus, had been betrothed, if you're not familiar with biblical ideas or, or language, betrothed was a legal contractual agreement between, it's almost like an engagement, but not. The only way you get out of a betrothal is through divorce, or there was another option, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it was a serious engagement, if you will. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, as you read along here, not everyone knew it was from the Holy Spirit. In fact, very few people did. It just simply says, all right, they're kind of hooked up, they're engaged. Everyone knows about that. And then she was found to be with child. Can you imagine Mary, this teenage girl? She's going along. She, she is told that she's going to be the mother to the Savior, this king. But she doesn't tell everyone. Can you imagine what her friends thought? They knew she was betrothed. But all of a sudden, she begins to get bigger. You know how girls can be, right? They can be meaner than guys. They'd be like, 
they'd be like, Mary, you've been eating a little extra bread. You might want to lay, lay off that. And they're trying to do it in a real helpful manner. Like, Mary, you, you realize you get a wedding dress you got to fit into? You know, you got to slim down before you get in that wedding dress, right? The sort of ideas and the sort of rhetoric and the sort of criticism that poor Mary was enduring, even though she was going to be the mother of the Savior and the King. God could have made it easy for her. He could have told everyone. And she would have been like the teenager of the year, right? Everyone would have been almost worshiping her. Yet, as she has faith in the Savior that's going to come to be, can you imagine what it would be like to be found to be pregnant before you were actually married in that day and age? Well, I said there was another option of divorce, and legally, she could have been killed. Can you imagine what her family, her friends, would have been thinking? That first quote, Christmas, wasn't an easy Christmas. Far worse than dealing with shopping and relatives and bad food and dry turkey, that sort of thing. What would you have done if you were married? Would you have tried to defend yourself? Would you have still had faith in God? Would you have thrown out salvation because life wasn't easy? One of the things that you're going to run into this Christmas, as you talk about Jesus and his birth, people are going to reject Jesus because of the evil, they say, that is in the world. They're going to say, well, if God is so great, if he saves mankind, why is all this evil in the world? Well, the Bible does talk about that. The beginning wasn't like that. And if you flip to the end of the Bible, it's not like that either. But in between, there's this period of time where God reveals himself to mankind. He doesn't take mankind out of this world. He comes into this world to save mankind. Not only that, but the very idea that you can say something is good or evil is an acknowledgement that there is an ultimate standard beyond man. But... Let's continue with the story. Verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, in the Greek it means just or righteous, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Well, all of Mary's friends, her family, you, you can imagine, we kind of talked about what that might have looked like. But can you think through what Mary had to, to deal with when her husband-to-be, she had kept herself pure, she was walking with God, so much so God chose her to be the mother of the Savior of the world. She was doing everything right. And yet, her husband, future husband, found out that she was pregnant. And he decides to divorce her. Even though he chooses really the third option, death, divorce, or to divorce her quietly. That's not even really an option, but being this just, righteous man, he decides in his faith in God, even though he has the opportunity to do certain things, to honor God and to, to divorce her quietly. All of this going on when God himself intervenes in their lives and is about to bless them with a son who will be the savior of the world, yet craziness is happening. Absolute craziness. And Joseph, which should be 
one of the best times of his life is having to work through one of the most horrible things that you can imagine. This person that he loves, this, this girl that he thought was a godly woman, ends up getting pregnant. Ruins his reputation, her reputation. And in the midst of that, he decides to have faith in God and to follow through in that faith and to do the absolute best that he can to honor God. And he decides to divorce her quietly. Whatever that meant in that day and age, it certainly did not mean a public shaming. But as he considered these things, verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to to him in a dream. So apparently, as you're about to understand, he was asleep. So if you've ever had a really difficult problem and you've kicked back in the lazy chair or laid down for a nap and as you close your eyes, you're kind of pondering and thinking through the, the problems that you're facing or maybe your future. That's kind of the picture that is here. Joseph is pondering, he's thinking through these things and like how he's going to do it, maybe in what way he's going to do it. He says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. David, for those of you who don't know, don't have a church background, he is the idyllic king the king of kings, if you will, in the Old Testament, about 1,000 B.C. He ruled and, and was this incredible ruler of Israel. And people were looking for a king in the line of David. And he ties, this angel ties Joseph to that lineage. He says, do not fear. Wow, the angel is unveiling and revealing something that was going on in his life. Joseph was afraid. I don't know about you, but one of the most fearful times in my life was the time I was about ready to graduate high school because I thought I could do everything, but truthfully, I knew I really couldn't do much of anything and hadn't proved it. I was like, you know, in about two days, I'm going to have to pay for the, the rent, the car, the bills, my food, and I've got really no discernible skill sets whatsoever. <laughs> That's what college was all about, to escape from reality. You go hang out, have fun, and pretend like none of that exists. Well, Joseph had had his plans. Obviously, he was about to get married. And all of a sudden, this all happens. Do you realize that Christmas time here in America, it may be a joy for you, but it's one of the worst times of the year for a lot of people maybe your family or your friends, because of bad memories of tragedies that have occurred in their life, maybe in their faith with God. And it's always this thorn, this, this part that they try to escape from. Well, Joseph was having a tough time. Not only was he about to, to get a divorce, but he's full of fear. And then this angel of the Lord appears to him, and he says, don't fear. And Obviously, part of that may have been the angel, but he was dreaming. So uh, not many of you just freak out in dreams. But regardless of whether it was the fear beforehand or the angel during that dream, he says, don't. You don't have to be fearful. Saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. So more than likely... 
He's trying to figure out, wow, I love Mary. She was this godly girl, and I want her as my wife, but I, how do I do it? I mean, I can't start a marriage with a baby that's not mine. We've went well beyond a slip-up or some sort of immorality. We have consequences. And the angel's saying, don't worry about it. Don't fear to take her as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Huge another step of faith. You might not have a choice if an angel appears to you in a dream. I mean, he's going to do what he's going to do, right? But to believe that a, a baby is conceived by the very Spirit of God. Can you really try to, to pass that one off at the, the office party? Hey, I heard your wife got pregnant and you just got married. What, what was that about? Oh, that was from the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. So you're a charismatic, are you? <laughs> My charismatic friends always, everything is the Holy Spirit. The baby one, that's going to be a tough to believe, right? The baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Well, that's, that's the step of faith that we have to make this very day if you've never trusted in God. Did God take on the form of a man? The Bible claims that he did. It doesn't go into all the details on how that occurred, but God took on flesh. And he says this in verse 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of a Hebrew name as Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. It's referring to the, the divine name in the Old Testament. So they're to call him, God essentially saves. He will save his people from their sins. As I was looking at a number of, of, of other sermons and other pastors that I admire and over the years in preaching sermons, I don't know if you know this, but pastors both love and hate Christmas. They love Christmas for what it represents and they get to preach on but can you imagine having to take a text and preach something new for like 30 years every time? Not only that, but the audience that you're preaching to has read the text a thousand times, and they're like, all right, we're going to grade him on a curve. Did he get as good as last year? It's a C. If he gets a little bit better, we'll give him a B, and quite frankly, I haven't heard an A sermon on Christmas in a while, right? You're not getting there. But all of them point to this, this truth, and I believe it is accurate. God could have sent a scientist. He could have sent an educator. He could have sent a philosopher. He could have sent an engineer, a doctor. But man's greatest need from God's plan and his purpose that he reveals is that he sends a savior. Our greatest need is redemption, forgiveness of sins. You see, we can get by being pretty smart or pretty dumb. We can get by in this life being fairly healthy, but we all at some point, unless Jesus comes back, will die. We can get by in a, a little hovel or we can have a mansion. But what we cannot do and what we cannot control is this. When we sin, it's forever there. 
You can't take it back. You can't say, you know what, I forgive myself, as popular philosophy is today. I've said this a thousand times. If I go steal your car and say, hey, don't worry, I've forgiven myself, you're not going to buy that. You're going to want your car back. You're going to take offense at that. We cannot forgive our own sins. We can forgive other people's sins as far as what they've done to us. But the scripture reveals that when we sin, we not only sin against others, but we sin against God himself. And even some of my unbelieving friends, they want to argue about what sin is. It doesn't last long because I'll just flick them in the nose. And they get upset about that. I'm like, Why are you upset? That's not a sin. They were like, give me your billfold. I want all your money. That's thievery. That's robbery. Well, that's not a sin, apparently, according to you. No, there are certain things that we recognize that are wrong no matter what. And God does as well. And his solution was this. The payment for sin is death. And rather than requiring that of us, he sent his own son to take on flesh, to pay for sin once for all. Jesus was that individual. Once again, historically, that's why Christianity, the claims that it, it makes, is grounded in history. Jesus uniquely, within history, did something and was someone that was unique, cannot be repeated. It's not a matter of opinion or philosophy. He either was who he was, or he wasn't. That's the decision that mankind must make. Verse 22 and beyond, and we'll close with this. says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He's referring to Isaiah here. In verse 23, says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, Joseph was going to name him Jesus, which means God saves. But the people would recognize that, yes, God saves, but this Jesus, he is God. And he is God with us. He related, he experienced, he suffered, and he died as a man for both your sins and mine, and for the entire world. And God resurrected him from the grave. That's what we discuss on Easter, but the beginning, the genesis of this plan of salvation that was revealed was in not only his birth, but his very name that would soon be recognized as God with us. The last two verses, he says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That is the account, the genesis of the birth of Christ. Two people wrestling with faith. God didn't make it easy for them, in fact, incredibly difficult. Yet they chose to obey and trust in God. I want to invite you this morning 
if you've never made the decision in all your Christmases, in all your Easter's, in all the times that you've been to church, if you've never come face to face with the decision of how much God loves you and his desire to forgive you, I wanna invite you to make that decision today, this Christmas. Is it emotional? Yes. Is it intellectual? Yes. But ultimately, it's a decision of the will. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him with your mouth as Lord, you will be saved. It's both a desire for salvation and forgiveness and a confession of lordship, bowing your knee before what we read this morning, this baby who would grow into a savior. It's a simple decision. It's not a matter of works. I pray you have a great Christmas. And if you've never made that decision, to make it even a better Christmas this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much. As often as I've read this text and as many times as I've preached it, it never gets old because of your grace and love for us. Father, just like everyone here, I have sinned against you, but I've experienced your grace. You've forgiven me, not because of anything I've done. If there's anyone here today, they might not understand the whole Bible, they might not be theologians, but this simple message of forgiveness, of lordship, Lord, I just pray they would make that decision today. There are no magic words. All they have to do is right where they're sitting, quietly and silently to themselves, just to cry out to you, to confess their love to you, to ask for you to forgive their sins and to confess you as Lord, meaning they're, they're following you as disciples. That's a simple decision. If they make that decision, you say they'll be saved, they'll be born again. Your Holy Spirit will indwell them, not to make them God, but to just simply seal them as a believer and a follower of you. Father, we love you and thank you for that grace and that gift this, this Christmas season. I pray for safety, security, and joy and peace for everyone here as they celebrate this time with their families. We just thank you so much for the opportunity that we have in this nation to come together to celebrate that very thing. In Christ's name I pray this, amen.